got nothing to lose. I'm all in. Walking the ends, don't fall in. We've got nothing to lose. We're all in. The time is ours, and we're changing. Amazed, surprised, transformed with no compromise. This is the Game Changing Podcast, where people deserve to win, where magic moments shape our destiny, and where insights from the world's greatest performers in business, sports, and personal development bring you to the edge and change your game. Please welcome your host, Anissa Acker. We are recording the Game Changing Podcast with John Reed and holy shit, I can't wait to share your magic because again, as I was just saying with you, I could talk for hours and hours and hours upon ends because your skill set of turning a dollar into lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of dollars because of your knowledge blows me away. Besides your background knowledge, like I'm not smart enough to play with NASA and they bought your idea at 21. I'm almost 50. I doubt they would buy an idea that I had or even the only way they'd entertain me is because they go, look at that lady with purple hair trying to figure out who she is at 50. Oh, no, we'd get you you sold to NASA in a heartbeat. No problem. I love it. I love it. I love it. So I was just, I was talking to someone yesterday. This is fun. in, uh, In Pasadena and one of my biggest passions, we were just talking about my vision and it's around empathy technology. So it's, it's trying to figure out the science behind you know, this right here. Like, Anissa, you and I have never seen each other in person now, now that, I, that I can remember. Nope, and I, would, I, I think I remember you. And we've never seen each other in person. We're looking at each other's digital eyes on our digital computer screens. Yeah. But we can feel this human connection. Oh, and it's a so different much. kind of connection than, like, our parents, our grandparents would have had when they were doing letter writing. They were doing pen pals across the state or across the country and they felt one thing and then the telephone shows up and everyone says, well, that's going to disrupt it. And now the telephone makes it so we have a deeper connection and then email changes it, text message. And now we have this kind of communication and, and I go, I'm super passionate to figure out how do we use technology so that one day I can actually walk a mile in your shoes. If that's the relationship that we're supposed to have. And I can sit there and feel your life and feel what drives you. And then I can look at my soul and say, how can I best serve knowing you at the deepest level possible. And the, the response from this gal who's super plugged into the space community is, I, I have a girl who's working on that problem. Because it's not just about the technology for the depth of, of that, but that's a problem we have to have when we go to outer space. So she's building super fast communications so that people, so astronauts on the moon can talk at this level, at this speed, without a time lapse, so they can have the same relationship when they're afar. Oh my God, I got goosebumps like all over my freaking body. The, uh, the uh, with travel, <laughs> being a part of the Tony Robbins world and knowing how his AI is built and being able to see the inner behind the scenes and stuff like that, that I'm so glad we're sharing this right now on the Game Changing Podcast because people just aren't privy to all that is really going on. And you're talking about marriaging the human aspect with the uh, science and AI and all of the travel and, oh my God. And, and, and not just that, but then marriaging in the feelings and the empathy and the compassion and everything else. 
and those six needs that we all need and understanding what order it is with an individual so that we can serve them best. That's like humankind. That's humankind. That's that level five, like we talked about love, where we're going right now. So super excited. And I think it comes from this is that if you're in the scarcity mentality, I hear this term all the time. I don't know if you've heard this as the, the result of, of all the Zoom calls people are on, all the video conferencing from, from being sheltered in place and quarantined. Uh, they're afraid of digital depression. And that's the fear that the only way you're seeing people is through a screen. You're not actually seeing people in real life. You're not shaking hands. You're not feeling skin-to-skin contact. You're not hugging. And so people are afraid of digital depression, and I challenge that with how do we use technology to actually make a deeper relationship with someone than we could without it. So, you know, open my eyes, and if I'm thinking this, I'm going to hypothesize that there's also a lot of listeners that will equally – this will pop in their head. I agree. My connection with you has ran deep. Even when all I did was hear you on the phone or receive a text message from you because energy knows no bounds. I, alongside of that, am equally aware when newborns are born premature, it isn't the sound fully that gets them to grow and flourish. It's that connection to their their mom and dad's heart, you know, skin upon skin. Can you give some of us some insight into that, being that this technology isn't stopping and it is a must. It's how do we fill the gaps in between so that we as humans feel comfortable with progress so that we can keep feeling and receiving and achieving more abundance as it relates to love. Because this is what this is really about, that loving connection. Yeah, no, it is. It's, I, I think that's, you know, Tony Robbins says that your brain's a supercomputer and that you know, the way that you can become a better a better guardian of it is to ask better questions. So use it to solve better problems. So not, why did this go wrong? That's a, you can find a, an unlimited answer, an unlimited number of reasons why or why it go wrong, but how can I make this right is a better a better question to pop into it. And so I look at technology, you know, how do you, instead of how do you, focus on digital oppression. Where does digital oppression come from? What's causing that? How do we go, instead of just net neutral, how do we prevent it? That just keeps us where we are. How do you accelerate the human connection with technology? And I don't know about you, John. Here's what I can say about the COVID and this nine months, 10 months. The reason we are sitting here talking is I birthed You know, it's like giving birth to a baby. It takes like 10 months to, you know, 40 weeks to give birth to a baby. I have in this COVID period birthed the Game Changing Podcast for us to be here on, the Anissa Insurance of Mergers and Acquisitions, and my personal brand. So when I think about connection, it has been grander now because of the outreach and the capabilities of what Zoom provides versus me physically traveling to all of those locations, making that actual connection, and then saying, how do we work together? Zoom has allowed me through reading people's body language, which, you know, Jan Hargrave was on here, and she knows how to, she has given people, so people can listen to Jan Hargrave's episode, 
the ability to read people's body language on Zoom and what your body language is saying to an individual on Zoom or when you're walking around. So I feel it's given me the ability to expand and achieve abundance faster rather than slow me down because even my Zoom calls were one-on-one. Love you. Here's what I'll say. I have some JV masterminds I could pimp out, but I won't because this is your show. Man, I have some masterminds. <laughs> I have 150 to 200 people coming on it. So the and it's we've had we've expanded so quickly that we now have the North America group. We have the Asia Pacific group because we the we finally feel connected. So share about that technology a, a little bit more. And if people are in, which I've never heard of. Uh, connection, depression, Zoom, digital depression, digital depression. What some of the tips or what they can do if they're feeling this to move their ass? I would tell them to get up and squat up and down. You know, while they're doing it, I'm sure you got better advice. Hence, why you're the expert, not me. You know, it's one of the things I've done is I'm not the expert. This is a passion of mine. I'm not. I, this is an area that I'm driving into. But it's what I found is it's, it's staying in touch and it's realizing how you can count your blessings or you can count your curses. And if you want to focus on the curse that I can't see people, you can count that. Or if you want to count the blessing that I can do a game night, a double date, I can drink glasses of wine with my college friends in Ohio, with the ones that moved to Atlanta, Georgia, to, uh, to the ones in San Francisco, and all of us can be on a street at the same time laughing and catching up the way we were if we had a reunion in Cincinnati, we can count that as a blessing. Or we can just sit there and count, you know, well, we should have been able to do this somewhere else. And that, I think that's where we can end our own suffering, is by thinking about how much we have because of this. And to your point, the COVID's, COVID's given us some, some silver linings, yeah. right? You know, um, the, the, you talk about efficiency from a business perspective. You could be in the car all day, popping around city to city, meeting to meeting. You can see five or six people during the day and feel exhausted at the end. You spent two and a half hours in the car driving, dreading the traffic, just feeling down. Or you can see 10 people on Zoom back to back to back and and be hyped up and never had to leave your house. You know, do your squats in between the, the, the calls, have the uh, the comfort of your of your office instead of your, your automobile. And so there's, there's, I don't know, it's just different. And I think that people who say we want to go back to it, that's, I don't know if there is going back, right? Everything moves forward. There is no back in time. So, and I agree, there is definitely no back in time. Let's talk about, though, back in time as it relates to, you got to this position of really embracing and being passionate about understanding empathy because there's somehow a background that says i really yeah i see you smiling tell me more tell me yeah because it, it, it's born from something <laughs> it was born from something um i was pretty anti-social growing up i was a middle child my mom and my older mom my older sister my mom would argue a lot when i was a little kid so at that at those really foundational ages like four to nine and they would argue all the time, and I would see that, and I, I didn't like that. And so I became a, an habitual rule follower. I didn't like people who were loud or obnoxious or didn't follow the rules because I saw my older sister doing that and thought she was hurting my mom. That's kind of the, the what I realized uh, as an adult drove that. Yeah. And so fast forward till I was sixth grade, seventh grade, I was pretty antisocial, didn't want to interact with many people, and 
I, I just realized, sitting in class one day, realizing I wasn't making any progress with anything. I was terrible in team projects. And I realized you could never get anywhere in the world without other people. Like, unless you learned how to get along, you were stuck. There's only so much you can do by yourself. And so if you're working on a group project and there's too much to do by yourself, you're, you're never going to surpass that. You're never going to overcome what a group of people can overcome. And so from about seventh grade, there was, a, there was one, I did one class I remember being in, and this gal came to like my aid and said, like, guys, we can't make fun of John. We, there's no reason to do this. And I realized I could never have accomplished what she did in one sentence. And so I needed people like that in my life. And, and the only way I could have people like that in my life is if I figured out how to be kind and inviting and love them. And so since I was about 13, it's been a focus on how do you drive that human connection? I would challenge myself in junior high and high school to find one person I really didn't get along with, and I disliked them and they disliked me, and figure out how to become friends with them by the end of the year. And that was a challenge I would give myself every single year. And it was things like, it was just that. It was just, I think that realization you can't get anywhere. In, I don't know who said this, but the uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. You are, uh, I, I'm, tears of happiness right now, tears of happiness that my mission in life is to give people a voice and thank goodness that girl had a voice and she used it not for you. She used it to say that's a, you know what I mean? Like, thank you. And that voice has given you your success that you have now professionally. That was the beginning of your career all the way back then i can tell because i know yeah. the position you're in right now right now yeah, meredith and myers i'm extremely grateful for her thank you meredith thank you and kudos to you because to be able to give someone a voice they have to feel worthy of the voice and that's where another soul such as meredith says I hear you, I see you, I love you, I have empathy for you and compassion for you. And all business is built upon that. So at least that's a base foundation of any business. You would agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's speaking up if you have a voice to speak up. Yeah. And so you in the seventh and eighth grade of school started, it wasn't then for clarity on my behalf that you thought, okay, these people did or didn't like me and you started connecting yeah. or was it as an adult that you said, wait, now let me go back and kind of figure out why. No, it's from that moment. Okay. It's from that and, moment. And did you real, was it they didn't like you or was it you, you know, a lot of the times it's, what we tell ourselves about another that we think is our truth when in reality we start to talk and we're like, I don't, where did you get that thought from, right? Where, that Dude, I like you, right? Or did you have a whole different experience? Um, no, I don't, I don't think I was likable. I think I was, I was, you know, I was a smart, I was smart. I had great grades. Um, so I was fast intellectually. I was a husky kid, so I was overweight, but not athletic. And I didn't care what people thought. And that's been kind of the theme is I was extremely independent and extremely confident with myself. That even at that time, and I don't know if you call it arrogance or not, but I was a, yeah, I was a, a husky kid 
who was gifted intellectually with no friends, and I thought I was the coolest person in the world. <laughs> and I was absolutely comfortable with that. So I didn't need any recognition. I didn't need any validation externally. I was just on a, a, a collision course with my future, and I was going to go and get out of my small town. And it was in that moment that I realized that if I really want to make an impact, if I really wanted to go and do something special, it wasn't going to be just the John show. It was going to be the Shannon show. Do you know, like, I'm so grateful for Meredith because not only did she wake you up to saying, yes, you know, kudos to you, actually, because you you don't need to think you're great. You need to know you're great and you still are great. And what she awoke you to is that the fact is of the matter is even if they don't like you, those people are just as great and dream work takes teamwork. So even if you're the smartest man in the class, you need all those people with you to serve your mission, whatever that mission would be, right? We don't know that in the seventh and eighth Our grade mission. school. Yes. No, it's, it's, it's the collective yeah, It's mission. our, yes. There is no separation. We are all individual parts, but it's like a puzzle. This universe or the multi-universe is like puzzles. Every piece matters. Some pieces are bigger than others, but you remove one and the universe is no longer a whole. It's no longer a whole. So we're all equal. We all add value. We are all needed. There's no small piece, no small player. It's where do we fit in so that we give back what we were given, really. And uh, yeah. dude, I freaking love that you're smart. I need smart people in my corner. <laughs> I am smart, but not as smart as you, especially intellectually, right? When we talk about textbooks and NASA, listen, going to the moon, I'm like, Elon, I'm going to go to Mars because Elon Musk is going to be my boyfriend. So of course <laughs> I can go to, 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 to Mars, but that's the only way I knew I was ever going to get there until I met you. Now, now you I got you. Oh, did you see Virgin Galactic's going to do another flight uh, in the fall? So they're going to have the next one going up, and hopefully, or quarter one, quarter two next year, we'll see the first space passengers on, on Virgin. I can't freaking wait. Do you have a ticket yet? No, I summary. I lost Elon's phone number. It's not Elon. I, did, I can get you the phone number. I can get you I direct get, direct with the uh, the booking team. Book? No, I need the ticket for free. Because I don't know I can afford it just yet. Or maybe I can, but I don't know with me building my company and helping Earth Angels that I need to go help some Mars Angels just yet. First podcast <laughs> from space. Just throw it out there. <gasps> Dude. Totally. We cannot let Joe Rogan beat us to it. Oh, Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss. One of these or guys Tim Ferriss or no, 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 no. <laughs> Take that back. Eat those words. Chomp, chomp. No, we just said this lady and you are going to go because you have the connection. We'll go. This is teamwork. There's teamwork. 700 people. There's 700 passengers already. It's amazing. 702. 702. That's what she asked me yesterday. She's like, when are you, when are you buying your ticket? I'm like, I need to. This is. Today. The, Today. Right? Yes. Yes. Amazing. What? Why would we not, right? That it's a, it's and David Fagan was another guest on my podcast, and he said that honestly, the reason he is so successful now as an adult is he's always said yes. If you it, just like Tony says, if you can, you must. 
If you can't say yes, you must say yes, right? You must do it. And, and he's always said yes. And now look where he is. Look where you are. Like we must say yes. So Don, pinky swear that this I'm is going, going to out to the whole world. I'm going to space. Cool beans. Yes. <laughs> For sure. Okay. So let's, let's talk about when you, so you get out of, you, you, now we've only got to seventh or eighth grade right now, but let's talk about how that trajectory now has got us to where we're going, right? Because that seventh and eighth grade of school, you start realizing like you cannot get to space by yourself. Let's just take that as an example. <laughs> so right? I decided my, 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 my passion in life, even in seventh and eighth grade, it hasn't changed. It's to help people get out of space and survive. It's the, the thought that you know, the Earth is a limited resource and we need to survive as a species. We need to be able to leave the Earth. And my thought was, how do we you know, how do we get there? And I didn't know. I didn't have the answer, but I knew in order to start building up the team to do it, I would, you know, one day I'd be running a company that would be helping people go to outer space. And at that time, I thought it would be more on the tech side, on the, the, the rocketry side. And so I decided that I was going to own an aerospace company. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be in aerospace. Like, I didn't want to be the technician, but I wanted to be the, 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 the architect of people and uh, the visionary and empowering everyone to, to drive towards this big goal. And I said, okay, if I'm going to run an aerospace company, if I show up with no, like, what, who do I have to be in order to be able to be respected in that role? And I said, well, one characteristic is I have to be an aerospace engineer. And so I went to aerospace engineering school. I didn't want to be an engineer. I never did. But I wanted to have an aerospace engineering degree so that one day my team would respect me in that role, knowing that I went through the same academic educational path they did and had the same credentials and background. Mm. And so that's when I went to school for, for engineering. I went to school in Cincinnati. Um, had to put myself through school, and they had a co-op program that would let you work every six months. And so it was part of the curriculum. Work for six months, you'd go, or three months, you go to school for three months back and forth. So every six months was a rotation. And you got paid. And so I figured out that if I went and worked for three months and I saved all my money and survived off ramen and tang uh, in a little apartment in a bad part of town, that I could break even every six months. I could pay my tuition, pay for my room and board at school, pay for my books, pay for my living expenses, and go broke every six months. But I wouldn't incur any debt. Because my goal was to graduate college, self self funded with no debt. And Dude, I freaking love it because I know what you do now. So you've learned to, <laughs> you know what I mean? It all ties together. It all ties together. It's been pretty consistent. I uh, I, I didn't grow up with any money, and I, I grew up with a scarcity mentality around it. And I was afraid of being in debt, and it's just it was something I didn't want to be in. And so, it did you know, my co-op job was at a company called the Cornerstone Research Group. And it was a materials development company. A lot of a lot of contracts with the Department of Defense and um, and NASA was one of them. And in working in that lab, I, I was playing around one day with this shape memory polymer, which is like a plastic that would, it would, if you cast it, like let's say uh, here's an easy example. Let's say you cast it as a stick, and it was a hard stick. If you heated it up without melting it, you could put a bend in it, and then when it cooled off, it would hold itself rigidly. So it would be load load-bearing, it would be okay, and if you applied heat, it would pull itself back to its original shape. So that's kind of the, the technology behind it. Well, we used that liquid and made a, a, a composite with uh, fiberglass, and I started pounding nails into it one day. I just wanted to see what happens if I put damage in it, and like from the side, you'd see the nail would break the whole thing, and you'd have all these 
fiberglass strands sticking out, and then I would apply the heat source to it, and it would heal itself back oh. up. And I go, what if this is what airplane wings were made of? And so the idea was, okay, if, if that's going to be what happens, if an airplane gets shot, and there's a hole in the wing, and then all of a sudden we can fix it mid-flight to make it to increase the survivability of airplanes. So the next question was, how do we know that it got shot there? So we had to add a layer of sensors into it, where just these, these sensors that would be embedded into that into a layer of the composite would feed a system that says, okay, on a grid, this is where it got hit. And the next question was, how do we heat up that spot? And so we had a basically a heating element that was involved that was on two different layers that would cross over right where the damage was. And when you put all three of those things together, you'd have a panel for a wing that when it got shot would tell the system there's a hole in me. And then the system would say, okay, let's apply heat there. And the heat would fix the wing. And so that was my, that was my application in NASA that they funded when I was 21. And there's a patent on it for self-healing aircraft. Skin. 20, 21 years old, like in that. And the great thing is I just decided, and this is what we talk about all the time. And this is where the magic happens decided to play. I decided to bend it a little bit and see what we can do with it just to see what happens. And it comes pound up. nails in it. Yeah, yeah. See, <laughs> see, actually, you're right. You pounded nails, no bending. You thought, let me see if I can break this shit. Yeah. And yeah. you did it. And what does it do? Self-healing. And now you have a patent with NASA. <laughs> well, yeah, so NASA funded the research, um, the patent zone by the firm I worked with, and yeah. Uh, yeah, that was it. So that was that was like the highlight of my of my undergrad career was getting to you know, put together this proposal. And thank God for the team that they trusted me. That the chief engineer brought me in and knew I thought a little bit differently. So he didn't put me into a manufacturing role. He didn't put me into a uh, a testing role. He didn't put me into the chemistry office role. He had me do a rotation through all of them. And said, so John, the way your brain works is you'll you'll pick up something from each one of those. You're not going to create it. You're not you're not the one who's going to figure out the science behind this one thing. You're not going to be the one who figures the science behind here. But you'll see all these things and thought, here's the distilled coolest part of this, and here's the part of this that's most magical. And if you take these essences and weave them together, you're a magician. So let's, well, you know what? Let's talk about that now because that relates to your financial services. It's exactly what you do right now. You, and there's two pieces here that's very important to point out. That what your CEO, so the chief engineering officer saw in you is truly what you do right now for very, 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 very wealthy individuals is you see in them ways to save them money, get them to a zero dollar tax bracket, or at least as close as possible within legal bounds and grow their wealth at the same time. And how did he see that in you? What? How did he see that? Yeah. I don't know. You know, the, um, I think a big part of it was I sitting in the lab one day kind of going through things and I started digging through where do, where do, where does the money come from? I get paid by the company. Why do I get paid by the company? It's to work on work on projects. Where does the money from the projects come from? The money comes from these funding agencies, NASA, Department of Defense, Air Force Research Lab. Okay, 
So I go, well, if, if the value that's being driven to them is that we secure these contracts, I go, it seems to me like we're, and what was interesting and curious to me was how do I get more of those contracts? That seems like a really great way for them to get a bigger, a bigger return than what they're spending on me. And so I started reading. I would just read through these solicitations and requests for proposals. And they'd be like, okay, we want people to apply for this. And I started noticing trends. And my thought was, well, these eight things, these eight proposals all pay the same amount for a six-month period. I go, but I think we can send the same proposal to all eight of them. And if we get eight of them to fund us for this, we get a lot of, you know, there's like leverage there. And what if we blow them out of the water because we have eight times the funding? And so then they're definitely going to hire us for the second round. And if we get the second round, it's eight times again. And all of a sudden, you've taken one idea and figured out how to multiply the value. In your world right now, that's called compound interest. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's it. So, you know, in my world now, just totally switching into the insurance side, it's I'll take a case study. I'll take what worked for a client. The work that we've done over a year, a year and a half with one client that has been the result of hundreds of hours of research into the law, the tax code, reviews by their attorneys, everybody signing off on this strategy. And once we figured out exactly the mechanics of it, what could go wrong and how to mitigate those risks and making sure we have all the disclosures and analysis, I can take that case study and boil it down to two pages, three pages, and review it with an attorney, review it with a family office, review it with an advisor, and they go, okay, I have a, I have four clients who fit those three fact patterns you said drove the first part. I love that you take something and that says how well you understand it because you can take something that is 8, 9, 10, 20, 100 pages long, dissect it down to a use your scientific background, a molecular level. <laughs> And then rebuild it and make it better. Rebuild it and give the person that's working with you more. You did it in science and working with NASA, and now you're doing it, helping people with wealth management, basically, you know, and creating yeah. more wealth. And yes, of course, saving on taxes. The challenge with saving on taxes is yes, as you know as well as I do, you can put something in tax deferred. Fabulous. Kinda bullshit later, right? You know, if you don't know that the tax codes are changing in 2026 and you don't have someone like you or me on your team and you're setting and putting all your money in a 401k and overfunding it or funding your Roth IRA right now because someone has told you they are a great vehicle and that, uh, yes, they are a great vehicle. They are not the right vehicle for everybody, nor are they to be really ever overfunded with your employer. I'll just leave it there. And you know what I'm saying without saying a whole bunch of stuff. So let's talk about what's really, you know, when people talk about wealth, let's share with people some of the insights that you and I know that tax deferred is not always and what that might mean, because again, we're talking high at this point, uh, overview, what that means to the general public out there and them building up wealth and how that relates to tax codes coming along later. I think you know, I think it comes down to is that your point about moving targets, 
couldn't be more, like a more appropriate starting point Amen. is that we have we have a goal in the future and the goal has a whole bunch of obstructions do you, you ever go you know, putt putt or mini golfing yeah right and have you ever seen you ever seen the movie happy gilmore you know he's on yep. the putt putt he's on the thing and there's a hole there's a hole at the end and he stands there and he knows exactly what he's going to do and he takes the shot and then the whole course changes that's that's what happens in the u.s with the tax code and so you can have the best plan you can have the best putt you can have you know this great strategy the fact that there's a lot of things that are outside of our control that are changing all the time so i think that the two things that have to go into any long-term plan are flexibility and control and so when we look at flexibility and control those are those are the requirements of the plan but the next thing we look for how to grade it is efficiency right now the u.s tax code says there's about a 22 i'll use round numbers 22 million dollar exemption per person so we work with a lot of clients who have amassed a, a net worth of 50 to 100 million dollars and so for big round numbers let's just use the, the 100 million dollar at $100 million in net worth, you have a $22 million exemption. If you pass away with all of that inside of your estate, $78 million goes estate tax-free. Or sorry, $72, $78 million goes uh, by estate tax at 40% of $30 Tax-free in 2012, right? Yeah, for a year. <laughs> for a year. That's it, one year. But we can't go back in time. <laughs> I know. We talked about that, right? Nope. So. And so what happens is if you built it, let's say you're a real estate company. Let's say you have a family business. Let's say you own a, a car parts distribution company. You know, you if you own hotels, you've built this family business. You have the family farm. You've built the whole thing. It's you know, the, the value of it is $100 million. Well, when you pass it on to your heirs, they receive two things. They receive the $100 million of assets and the business value and all that transfers over to them. And the IRS shows up with a $30 million tax bill. And the tax bill can't be paid with shares of the of the business. They can't be shared with free nights at the hotel, no free meals. You know, they, they won't take an IOU, they, they take cash, you have to pay them. Now there's some ways to structure that as a payment plan, but the fact is you owe $30 million. And so what we look for from an estate planning strategy, what's the most efficient way to create $30 million of liquidity when it's due? Because taxes only come when you have the wealth. That's why they're always after you have an appreciation. When you sell a business for a profit, then the tax man cometh. Whenever you pass estate assets to your heirs, that's when the tax man cometh. And so we want to time the creation of liquidity with the obligation to pay the taxes. And that's where life insurance comes into play very, very often. But that's just the starting of the conversation because in order to build a life insurance policy that will pay off $30 million of death, it takes significant funding. You know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. The insurance company, you can't take the risks, you have to sell it to the insurance company. You sell it to the insurance company by paying them a premium to hold on to that risk for you. Just like the insurance company sells their risk to a reinsurance company, right? They are That's selling it. their risk. It's no different. It's what's blessed is that you're bringing people that knowledge. We're able to bring that forward. And it's it's not that companies are bad out there because a lot of companies have great products. It's the value set behind the building of the how do you take care of that portfolio when someone gets into it? Because there's a plethora of great products out there, right? Just like we talked yesterday with houses and cars and they're all good. It's which one's best for you and your family. And 
you'll only know that first if you have a value set with a, an agent that really cares that first you're part of my family when I start to do business with your family. I wouldn't yeah, do it for it, you. I wouldn't do it for me. That's, that's it. And then you know, what happens is that's a fact pattern that someone hears and sees. And where I, where I get paid, so we ever talk about, I'm always looking for how to provide value, is I firmly believe there's four things that have to happen once once that conversation's happened. That's kind of the start. That's the beginning of the conversation. Is we realize that today, 2020, even though we're a month away from the election, today we have a $22 million exemption and we have $100 million of assets we're trying to move efficiently. So then I get hired for, for these four things. One, if we've identified life insurance is going to be the, 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 the type of asset we're going to use, to yep. effectuate this transfer, what are the most efficient insurance products currently available? And so that's grading them. It's analyzing the cost structures inside. It's going and looking at the counterparty risk of the insurance carrier who's actually taking on the obligation. It's looking into all those risks. Number two is the cash flow to fund those policies. There's a premium due. And it's looking at holistically what are the other assets in the trust or in the family? Where are the available sources of funding? And what is the most efficient use of them? Oftentimes, and this is an area I specialize in, oftentimes we find out that the client has the ability to earn a higher interest rate in their business or staying in their real estate than they would if they sold it and funded my insurance contracts. And so we look at leverage. We look at using outside third-party lenders to fund the life insurance on their behalf because the hurdle rate is very, very low. Funding life insurance is one of the lowest cost assets you can finance. And so we secure financing. So we have number one is the analysis of the insurance contracts. Number two is the analyzing of the cash flow and figuring out if third party lending makes sense. Number three is packaging those two things together. It's doing the analysis of if we use third party lending to fund these efficient insurance contracts, this is what the overall financial economics look like. But then I think the, the most important part, and this is where you know, I'm, this is a unique ability I have and what I rely on is taking all of those moving pieces from the molecular level and making it really simple for someone, but being able to go as deep as needed in a conversation because it's my job then to review the analysis with the estate planning attorney, the tax advisor, the financial advisor, the investment advisor, the family office, the client themselves, their spouse, their children. All of those involved are sitting around the table and it's my job to not only make it simple to understand, but also be able to back up the simplicity and understanding it at the molecular level. I love it. That's what I do for a living. Yeah, exactly. You take something that's really complex and you put it down to a, you know, they used to call that kiss analogy, keep it simple, stupid. You know, I, I to, to use that analogy, that's what you do, which means you intimately understand it because you can't do that if you don't understand it. Right. It's like me and insurance, too. I can break it down as simple of a high overview for the people that only need that. And then if it comes deeper, I can go, OK, just like you. OK, now you need to know more and you need to know more, but not the eight other people at the table. Right. Because they don't. That'll overwhelm them. And those two people know. And if there's 10 at a table, well, or leaving those eight people out, if we were to give everybody the same equal they would mess up the two that needed to know with so many questions, they wouldn't get anything done. They wouldn't, right? So it's trusting the people you hire also, trusting the people that are on your team and empowering them to really play where you've put them to play. 
but it's being able to communicate with all of them. You have to, yeah. in my role, you have to, to speak directly to estate planning attorneys and understand tax codes and strategies. You have to go to work with the family office who's thinking about the administration of this. You know, okay, if we're if we're building a, you know, some of our clients are a two hundred million dollar portfolio of insurance. They have you know, 10, 15 different insurance policies that make up that coverage. It's the administrative burden of ensuring that all of the premiums are received on time in full at the right time, you know, in the right moment. Because there's all these contracts are very specific around the premium payments. And so you think that the family office is thinking about that. The, the family wants to know that everything's taken care of. They want to see that there's confidence on the team. They want to see that they have a confident team that's marching their orders to taking care of the family and passing on the assets. Uh, you know, the insurance agent who typically brings me into the deal wants to know that I'm treating their clients at or better than they themselves would or could. That I'm never going to do or say anything that's going to jeopardize the relationship that oftentimes they've spent their entire lives building. And so it's being able to it's being able to juggle all those things very efficiently at the boardroom table that we're uniquely situated to do. And the other piece is that you know, I, I think I was yesterday I was accused of being a financial engineer, which I thought was a really good uh, a good acquisition or acquisition. Uh, I was meeting with a banker in LA, and he's like, Johnny's like, you're not an insurance guy. He's like, but you figured out how to provide a ton of value to people. And have the insurance company pay you for it. I when I hear all these parts moving, I see you as this orchestra conductor, where you just at the end get this beautiful symphony. You know what I mean? Because it leaves a lasting effect on everybody, not just the people you're playing with, but the legacies that they get to leave for future generations. It's just got this very. But I hear this beautiful sound coming out of my head right now with talking to you. So I see very much like this beautiful orchestra, orchestra conductor pulling people in and knowing like when to tune this one down and when to lift this one up. And like you said, make this one net neutral. You know, it's just that beautiful pull it all together. And here's how it sounds at the end. And it's music to your ears. You know, it's yeah. just simply music to your ears. So yeah, with it, it's conducting conducting the team and being a good partner though because everyone has their role everyone you know, everyone has their area of specialty so I think being able to see people's passion seeing where their concerns are and making sure that you know, there are no blind spots in the plan that one person or one group may know about it's ensuring that it's ensuring there's no asymmetry of information that everyone who has to know the details knows that there's nothing hidden. There's nothing on the outside because that's where problems lie. It's through that non-clarity. Advisors and experts can only give expert advice with the facts. Only, right. Not subjective facts. <laughs> People do that often. I'm like, is this factual? Is this objective or subjective right yeah. now? What are you saying? Because you're presenting it as if. It's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But I hear and read your language of body right now and know that that is not the truth right now. So, and the fact that you can bring these people together and do that again takes that skill set that you learned in the seventh and eighth grade of school. It takes that <laughs> intellect that you have, like you're saying, on, a, on this great scale that you can internalize anything because you are very brilliant and you have the people skills also. So now you can marriage those two 
and there's not a lot of yous that can marry the twos, right? Normally, people are good Sounds at Sounds like numbers. a Dr. Seuss books, by the way. Ooh. <laughs> Maybe there's that's what so we There's only so many yous. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. And you enjoy doing it. You know, that's the best thing is we talked about this. Man, you have fun playing. And I heard you intimately just say everybody knows their position. It's just like a, anything else. You play a game of any sport, even if you understand the whole damn thing, you play your position, you hold your position so that you can win as a team playing that sport. And you're not just there being a dictator going, you do this, you do this. You're like, I like playing so much that I'm in it with it to win it. So thank you. Well, yeah. And that's, I think that goes back to the whole idea of picking out those essences, right? The same way that you know, I talked about doing that when I was in my co-op role, doing the rotation. I think that's, that's one of the most fun parts about life is that it's like that with relationships too. It's like that with friends, with people you interact with. You find out what is their essence. What is what is at their core? What do they, you know, what does Anissa love to do? What do you love to do? And in seeing that and it's owning it and it's it's keeping it here in the heart so that when there's an opportunity to, as you said, as a conductor, it's an opportunity to say, okay, this is where you hit your note. And when you hit it, the whole crowd just gasps and goes, oh my God, that was incredible. And that's the role I think we all get to play. It's finding those notes. And if you have the voice, if you have the, if you have the people in your life to do it, it's your responsibility to get them a standing applause. Amen, brother. Amen, amen. Let's talk one moment because you were in the business of aerospace. Okay, that's what you went to school with. I haven't forgotten. We're just over here talking in left field right now. But you're in the business of aerospace, and you're talking about now the business of insurance and finance engineering or whatever we want to, you know, upgrade yeah. the, the the title to. And yesterday we briefly spoke on the phone, and I we talked about the science of achievement, which is where you had been, and really where you are now is the art of fulfillment. You, you get to marriage, not one or the other, now you've achieved both. And that's why it's so fun to play. How did you realize where you were is not where you wanted to be necessarily? Well, I, I never wanted to be an aerospace engineer. Remember, I, I always I, wanted to have the degree, but I was going through school and I had so much fun in undergrad. And I stayed for grad school. So I stayed for my master's degree in engineering, too. And I hated it. As much as I loved my co-op job, I hated my master's program. I was studying, uh, it's called, they're called screech and rumble tones that are inside of a jet engine when the afterburners go off. So if you imagine, uh, imagine a flute, right? You know what a flute is, the instrument? Yep. You blow in one end, the air comes out the other, right? And you press some buttons along the way and it makes different sounds. And sounds are sound waves, which are vibrations. So a jet engine's like a flute. Air comes in one side, air comes out the other. But imagine whenever you turn the afterburner on at the end, it's like pressing a key that we didn't know was there. And all of a sudden it makes a vibration. 
but the vibration blows the engine out. It's not made for that vibration. So that's what I was studying, were screech and rumble tones. It was different acoustic frequencies that would happen inside the jet engine. And I hated it because I sat there for, for three years taking pictures of flames inside of a wind tunnel. I could only run it at night. I would, the whole place smelled like jet fuel. All my clothes smelled like diesel or kerosene. And it was just, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. It was me sitting there talking to a computer for three years. And I sat in a dark office underground and I didn't like it at all. And I just, one day I said like, this is not what I want to be doing. This is not helping me with my future. And I had a financial, uh, a fi I went got my MBA also, sorry. So while I was doing my master's in aerospace engineering, I got my MBA at the same time. Sorry, and this is not hard <laughs> enough. Let me do a little more to make it tougher. This well, is I not, had, yeah. I had a, uh, I had a 50% scholarship for my MBA. Uh, so I had a hundred percent scholarship for my, my master's in aerospace. I had a paying, like paying research internship job while I was in the aerospace master's program. And I got a 50% ride for my MBA and I negotiated with them to use it all up front. So instead of using it for half of all the classes, I would do it all up front. And then I petitioned the school that I'd already taken so many classes for my aerospace masters. I found courses that kind of overlapped in the business school. And so I did a year of MBA work and petitioned the whole rest of it so I could do my MBA for free. Okay, listen, you're a salesperson, <laughs> an engineer. I mean, what else do I need to know here? Listen. It was great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I freaking love every time I talk to you, I get to you use your knowledge to get what you want. And that's knowledge is power only when you use it to get what you want. So freaking kudos to you, dude. Thanks. It was really a fun, fun couple of years. But I, when I was in my MBA program, I got called by a Northwestern mutual advisor, called me and said, Hey, I want to talk to you about life insurance and said, this is how it works. And I said, okay, um, that's awesome. I don't have any money. I don't have, like, I'm breaking even every six months. I have no investments whatsoever. Um, call me back. Here's my start date. I have a new job coming up. I just got an offer to start the research and development arm of a manufacturing company that made carbon fiber inlays for aircraft and spacecraft. So it was in Dayton, Ohio. They asked me to come in for an interview. The recruiter brought me in. Um, I was five to 10 years younger than all the other people. I had no formal work experience because I was still a student. I just my co-oping job. And at the interview, they asked me, okay, what would you do? What would be your, your, your goal in this role? Where would you go to get funded? And I showed up with about a hundred page report of all the small business independent research contracts that were currently available from NASA, from the Department of Defense, from Air Force Research Lab. And I said, these are the ones I would prioritize. Here's the technology you have. Here's how I'd outline it. This is, this was my first six months of doing. And I got the job. They offered me the job. Listen, guys, if you're out there listening to our podcast right now, can you clearly see how he can work with you and create magic together with you as it relates to, well, honestly, you tell them where you really want to play with them because, look, you, you're so smart. I could play with you in a lot of areas. Clearly, I could play in financials right now with you because I'm doing that with individuals. But And I'm guessing that's what we're going to talk to the people about. But I'm listening to this going, I need to hire you to consult with my company right now even. I'm <laughs> so, available. I'm available. We'll talk afterward. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, 
so so here's how it, here's how the transition happened is that I, I had this job offer. My Northwestern guy had my start date. I said, this is my start date. Call me the next day. Tell me everything I need to know. I've never gone through this before. I've never had a real job before. I was a co-op student. And if you call me, I'll give you my employee handbook. You tell me what to do for my employee benefits. You set up my retirement plan. You like you can be my financial advisor. Call me on this day. It's six months away. And like a great financial advisor, he called me on that day. He didn't know two weeks before the company went through a reorg and my job got rescinded. So I didn't have a job anymore. So I'm sitting there just kind of trying to figure out now, what do I do? You know, I'm done with engineering school. I'm done with MBA school. I was you know, getting ready to start this job. And it was a really exciting job. And I don't know what I'm doing. He calls me up and I say, hey, Brian, sorry. Uh, you know, no deposit, no return. I, I, can't, I can't start my investments. I don't have a job. And like a great financial advisor, he told his recruiter, there's this guy out there who's got his MBA, wicked smart. You should talk to him about a career in financial services. And so she thank called me the next you, day. Thank you. So that's how it happened. Don't, just like Tony Robbins said, and I don't know if it's his quote, life is not happening to you, it's happening for you. Thank you, uh, right? I would say it's happening through you. Through you. Ooh, that's a new and improved. Okay, smarty pants. Yeah. <laughs> so don't be a block. Wow. Wow. And so we would. Um, Jessica Mackey recruited me to Northwestern Mutual, and that's where I started my career in financial services. And I know that you've worked in this space for a long time. In my natural market, right? Go back to first year, first year people in the in the career. My natural market was aerospace engineers. So for the first year, I sold whole life insurance to aerospace engineers. Which any, anyone in the anyone in the insurance industry knows how terrible of sex we don't use and how thank God there's hopefully they're still your friends or thank God you were with them long term and you got to rewrite their policies and you know that's but what it what that taught me was this whole different mindset that you have to make things really simple that if you want to be if, if someone wants to hire an engineer to teach them all of the mechanics of their of their policies and everything inside it that's a self-directed person. That's a person who doesn't value professional advice. They don't want to pay for it. What they want is education so that they can go and self-direct everything. And what I was looking for, my first referral outside of an engineer was a gal. She was a hair cutter. Um, she was a, a beautician. And I started, I started answering her questions the same way my engineers would be answered. And she goes, John, you don't get it. I hired you to do all that thinking. And they come back and tell me what's best. Amen. She trusted your expertise because that that's not my, hers. That changed my whole trajectory because I went from being a technician for a year. I spent becoming a technician of life insurance. Oh. All of the mechanics. What's in the contract? How does it work? What is the I, crediting? What is the investment account? I even missed Everything. that point. I so just missed it, that point. Yeah. Until you just said the, that. <sighs> So for wow. a year, I just, I treated it like an engineering problem. What, how, what are the mechanics of life insurance? And once I mastered that and got out of the engineering market, then everything changed. I started working with business owners who valued professional advice, who wanted to bring someone in to do that for them and present back their findings, not the whole report. They didn't want all the data. They wanted you to present their findings and they were hiring you to do that. And that's where, that's where things changed for me. And I realized that... As a, you know, being, if I was going to get paid by insurance companies, 
that the way that I could maximize that was by providing as much value to those with as much at risk as possible. And that meant for me getting more and more and more specialized. So it went from working with all kinds of people to business owners to high net worth business owners to ultra high net worth business owners to very complex families and businesses going through a succession. And so I don't do investment work. I don't I don't do four hundred one Ks. I don't do I don't do stocks and bond portfolios. That's not where I specialize. I specialize in one thing, life insurance, in support of complex planning for estate and business transfers. I I think people fail to realize that life insurance isn't only a death benefit. People think, no, I don't want to talk about death. No, you need to talk about life insurance because it's got living benefits that you need to understand. Like there's so much inside of it and they use old knowledge to presume and let's just use whole life. Who writes whole life anymore? It barely exists. Barely. It's there, but barely. Over half my cases are whole life. What? Here, here's why. Okay. okay. Here's why. Yeah. So remember we talked about the, the very uh, a long time ago, an hour ago, we talked about <laughs> uh, flexibility and control. Uh-huh. So the other piece is that people want to use the insurance asset because they're shifting the risk. And so what we look into is what are the risks of the different policy types. And so part of my analysis when I go work with a client is to understand. What is their preference for whole life? What is their risk tolerance for index universal life? Where do they look for universal or guaranteed contracts or term contracts? Where where is the right fit based on the overall planning engagement? And so we evaluate whole life every single time. And a lot of clients like it in my in my in my scenarios because we're using leverage already. They're taking on risk by using leverage to fund their insurance policies. Uh-huh. And so they de-risk part of the transaction by uh-huh. buying a policy that has guaranteed cash value. <laughs> my head is spinning because I have, when you're speaking in my head, you know, once you start knowing all this information, my head is starting to spinning because I know how an IUL works. Like, hey guys, if you're listening, that's an index universal life policy. I know how an IUL works and now I'm thinking, oh shit, he just talked about funding a whole life. So you're Oh gosh, like my head. So we find I, a lot I, of times you use both. Yeah. Yes. You use both yes, for different yes. reasons. And so we'll do a combination of both in a lot of contracts. And there's some de-risking that happens there too, especially when you look at you know, this counterparty risk. For jumbo contracts, we're talking a hundred or two hundred million dollars of coverage. You're, you're looking at what is the concentration of risk per insurance carrier. How do you minimize that for insurance carrier, for reinsurer? What's the structure underneath? What's the cash value? What's the guaranteed cash value? Because we're not selling these on projections. What we're looking at is what's the most efficient contracts yeah. out there, and then what's the most efficient way to fund those contracts, and what happens when we put those two things together. So from a life insurance perspective, that's that's what I get brought up to, and then make it sound really simple. Yeah, and, and know how not simple it is, right? Know how yeah. what we're talking about is a very high overview. I'm looking for the exact name of the author. So you've heard of the book, The Power of Zero? Right? Have uh, you heard Patrick of Kelly. Is that, yes. is that he's tax for retirement? Uh, the Power of Zero by David McKnight and uh, oh my God, 
that I, I think even the general population should just listen to the book as a whole because it's it, it's for all of us to know that information that's in there. Have you read the book? Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. It's so freaking well, amazing. But you already the do the principle. Is, right. Because I think the, the the whole point of the book is to get to a zero percent tax bracket for your income. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. As close so, as and possible. I, I, and I don't do as much anymore. So I left that world about five years ago, where we're not. I'm not doing much work with people who are looking at life insurance for retirement income. Okay. Most of my engagements, most of the time I'm hired to help with death benefit planning and uh, access well, to the capital is the secondary purpose. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, because I'm sitting here going, man, I got so much in my head of now how we can play with different people and stuff yeah. like that. As with anything, right, when we talk about, the minute you really get to know somebody, business only happens when you know somebody, not what you know what their skill set is, because skill set has nothing to do with value set and value set has nothing to do with skill set. And like you got, we already know value set is there. Now I'm going, oh my God, you've got some skill set. I've got some things I can already cross pollinate with you so that we can do better for our clients, better for our customers, better for our family that are, that the families that are allowing us to be of service to them. Yeah, it's 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 a ton of fun. And what I think is great about this, you know, wrapping it kind of all together is that the whole purpose that I've had is trying to figure out how to work really well for the people to help humans survive in outer space. That's been really the goal. And my thought was that as working in financial services, working in insurance, it, it allows me to do a lot of things. One, I get to provide a ton of value to those with significant resources, complex planning needs millions, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars at stake to make sure that things go right. And because we're able to serve them at a very, very high level, we get compensated accordingly. And so we get paid through insurance carriers. And my goal is that ultimately, I want to be able to take that capital and bring it back to helping empathy tech. It's helping people serve this model. It's, it's making it easier to do more of this. So that's been the kind of the reoccurring theme of my life is is distill things down to the really most simple and basic core essence and then multiply them. Mm. And so that's what I'm working on now is I'm trying to help a thousand advisors be able to work in this space because a thousand advisors who can work at this level right, is going to make sure there's a huge efficient transfer of wealth that occurs over the next 10 years. Because I think the next generation is really interested in space. I think these are people who are going to use their resources for good in alignment with where, where I think we're going to go. And I would love to have a, a fast pass to their, you know, their year, their mind share, though, to talk about, oh, that's the guy who helped us make sure mom did the business transfer. And he's mm -hmm. talking about space, just like Elon, just like Bezos, but, uh -huh. and just like Richard Branson. Yeah. And that's that's what I want. I, my goal is to interact at that level with those guys and bring a whole bunch of people with me. So here is one word I heard, trying to help a thousand financial advisors. We will help a thousand financial, uh, whatever you want to call them, advisors, financial, you know, I call them in my team, they're wealth game changers because, you know, this is the game changing podcast and we do help people change the way the wealth looks, as you said, upon passing. And I equally, while they're still living, you know, not the arena you're still playing in, but still play in that arena. So I've got both sides playing right now. And I probably have a thousand people that I can bring to you that can start stepping up and playing at the level you're playing. Because right now they're playing where you used to play. Yeah. 
you know, playing where you used to play because typically for us to be able to step up, we need a hand up, not a hand out. And you're willing to say, I'm willing to share my knowledge, my love, my grit, my intellect with you. As long as we're on the same team, going to the same place with the same mission. Yeah. And same team, already, same team. Same team, right? Same team here. Yeah. And there is, a, I'm all about space. I, I love our big, gorgeous, beautiful, floating blue ball. We can't remake it. I'm grateful for Mother Earth. She gives us everything we have and we give back to her when we go to Mother Earth. So we best be conscientious of. <laughs> We'll talk about spirituality very moment, you know, for one moment of how we feed ourselves and not just feed ourselves with food, but through social media or, or, or physically working out, right? There's so many ways to nourish our body versus just the nutrients from food. And so I'm very conscientious about that. And as too are you, because we get better downloads when we are cleaner. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so, I think the point about a thousand, you know, a thousand game changers is, is really, it's really important because where where I play, the, the game that I play in, it's not most people's everyday client. It's very rare that you have someone who has a very very complex requirement and a need. And what I found is that things track, things trickle down. So if we're working at the at the pinnacle of wealth in the world. And we're able to take those ideas and those get the, the pieces of it. It's like going from an NFL pro game and taking some of the plays or some of the, the, the trainings, the mindset training, emotional intelligence of being on the field and passing it down to youth sports. Everyone gets to a benefit from it. And everyone dreams of maybe playing at the, their, the correct level for who they are. And with financial advisors or for those who are working in this, in this industry, being able to talk about and have a resource and share knowledge of what's being what's being a benefit, what's of interest, what's helping move people to take positive action at, at any level, I think it helps across the whole board. And then if you run into a relationship, if it's your friend that you've had for your whole life, your neighbor, your parents' neighbor, whatever that is, it's that one person you've, you've always thought about, you know, I should call Mr. Uh, Mr. Michelson, or I should call Mrs. Mackey down the street. And, you know, they, they have that business they sold and or they're running this huge corporation and they've always been so nice. I would love to see if I could help them. That's that's the time to pick up the phone and say, Hey John, I, I got a gal. Hey John, I got a girl. I got a guy. And this is their background. Here's their situation. They've run this great business in town for this many years. They hired two hundred employees. They've built these things up. They're philanthropically involved here. They want to make sure the business stays in the family. They want to make sure all, they, they have they have two thousand apartment buildings. They own the homes. They help people. They help 4,000 people, 5,000 people call a place home. They want to make sure that those buildings stay in their family, that they can keep serving that community the right way. And we're talking about that. How can you help? That's a perfect opening to a phone call. It's a perfect way I can plug in and say, okay, here's what we're looking at. Here's the concerns. Here's, here's the risks that are associated with that kind of wealth. Because ultimately, we have an obligation back to our country. Right? We all live in the United States. I think I don't, I don't know if international as much as the world, but everyone calls their everyone calls their country home, and every country wants to have some recruitment of wealth at transfer. The United States actually is a really high state tax exemption. Twenty two million dollar joint exemption is great. It's huge. Um, it's not even a million dollars in England. So if you own a home in London, anything over a million, like it's under a million dollars is exemption. They have a much what? bigger problem. 
Yeah, it's way worse. And so you look at, it's not how to mitigate, planning number one, the state attorneys, tax advisors will help you minimize the exposure to it. And there's ways to do that by making gifts early, appreciating assets outside of your state. But once we've done that planning and now we know what the obligation is, or what the obligation is between business partners as they're growing a firm, it's figuring out how do we ensure that risk? How do we make sure that when, when the obligation to buy out a partner or when the obligation to pay out the government occurs, that you don't have to jeopardize the business's function in order to pay them? And that's what we're using insurance for. It's an efficient asset. It's got very unique tax treatment. And it's been around for a long time for a really good reason. I sold my business a couple of years ago for a few million dollars and we'll just talk about capital gain taxes and, you know, for one moment and man, I wish I'd had you on my team, right? Cause I paid, let's just say roughly $235,000 or just going to say close to roughly. that. And 67 cents. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like, roughly. I still remember <gasps> writing every number on that <laughs> Clearly, right, <laughs> roughly, yeah. The only thing I left the sense off, right? You got it. That tells you played in this arena before. I'm like, man, see, you got to have people like you at, uh, on the team, right? Because I didn't have someone going, oh, shit, you're going to get a few million dollars. You don't have enough on this side to write off. Therefore, this is going to happen. Uh-oh, press pause before you do it. And let's do this, 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 and that. And you can do that now because you know the, the the hard way of learning i know now how not whenever when i have our friends now selling their agencies you know because i'm in insurance mergers and acquisitions i get people yeah. 9 million 14 million 20 million dollars now i'm like pause we need to do something first right yeah. because there are certain things that need to take place that wasn't i knew of but nobody cared enough of to protect me because they just thought she's doing it. Of course she knows what she's doing, right? So we get overlooked, that's the bullshit part. <laughs> so let me ask this, you'll like, you're like, this is game-changer mentality for you. So you sell your business for $14 million. What kind of a multiple do you use for that? What kind of range? Uh, the, the, well, the multiple on that one that we're looking at right now, because it's on EBITDA and stuff, that wow. one's between six and seven because that, because he's got such a good, um, uh, loss, like his P and L's look really great. They freaking are amazing. So now imagine we got plugged in two years before the sale and we go through the book of business and we find a couple cases that are high net worth clients that are underserved for their insurance. My average size deal is about $350,000 of target commission. We do three deals. They keep 65% of that. They add $650,000 of revenue two years in a row to the business, and then they get their six times multiple. God. What just Dude. happened to that sale? Yeah, well, I, I told you I'm scaling and selling businesses. We got a lot of talking to do offline. Listen, guys, we got to go. You can clean here. We got lots of business to do. No, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I'm going to call some people real quick. Yeah, my goal, I'm close. Our company is closing, not me, my team, right? I have my dream team. Uh, we're, we're closing a minimum of 100, closer to, we're guessing, 300 deals next year. Some of them, we're just going to say the average agent, just say it's small would be a minimum of a million dollars they're getting in cash so we've yeah. still got to put some protection and before the transaction takes place i partnered with a company called cal choice because they're an mm -hmm. ria so they have a huge 
relationship and options for me to play with with uh, my wealth game changers as it relates to helping them change the wealth picture versus the experience that I experience, right? Game changer, once I experience, I go, that's not happened to another one of my friends and family members. So we've got so, so much I, business opportunity I, to be playing I have some with. ideas for you real fast. I don't know if you yeah. want to hear them. Are you kidding? Uh, well, it's not just for so me. There's, thing, yeah, everybody. The, acquiring, the, the acquiring party's taking on risk because they have the, the principal of those firms who's going to be either doing an earnout over a couple of years or going to be servicing and doing the transition. Um, there's risk there, right? Loss of that individual is detrimental to the value of the, of the relationships and the business. So what we see a lot of times before an acquisition is key person coverage bought at the corporate level on the individual. Now, again, we talk about efficiency of capital. If the business capital from the M&A firm is best used, buying businesses, they don't want to fund insurance on this. They don't want to fund permanent insurance. We can fund it with borrowed dollars. So what if we create a debt note inside the business to fund their life insurance on the key individual? Then after the three-year buyout, they transfer the policy over along with the debt. They've serviced the debt for three years. There's a mature policy with cash value in it. It's probably close to equal to the outstanding debt. It's pretty net neutral to the insured. Now they have a mature policy that's funded. Uh, and, oh, by the way, because we weren't paying premiums directly, we were servicing interest, we've increased the EBITDA. Value went up. Transition went up. Risk was insured. And they have a valuable mature asset that they loaned out. And here's the great thing. So I've come, I partner with this freaking amazing company called World Insurance. They've done 60 plus M&As already. They normally do an 80 payout, 90 payout, you know, over the next two or three years is where they get the rest of the payout to the person. So we're, dude, we're like a match made in heaven right now because yeah. we're talking high overview. So the audience may not fully understand what we're saying fully right now. Guys, what we're talking about is filling in the <laughs> gaps right now, filling in the gaps. Filling, I'm just like you. I the, the the reason people hire me to be like this business solution strategist is first, I played in the insurance industry for 20 plus years. Just like you, I grew my company a million the first, second, third, fourth, fifth year. By then, you get big eyes on you, going, "How did you go from scratch to a five million dollar agency in five years? What the hell did you do?" And then you start moving the needles at the top at leaders forums. If you can move needles at top, that's like moving an NFL player. Once you can move those, good luck. You'll move anybody else, right? So I've been blessed to move people. And now I've got so many people in and out of this industry, selling their companies, doing what we're talking about. And now they hire me to fill in the gaps, right? You hire, you want to go here. Here's where we are. And I'm like you, I see every detail because the niches and the riches go together. <laughs> they go together. That's where they belong. So, yeah, man, we got Special lots teams. of. We are definitely team team players right now. I just realized we got like a hundred deals. We're going to be probably doing a minimum <laughs> together, right? Once these deals go through, yeah, it's that figuring it out. We so should. Good. We should do all of them. That's exactly. I mean, it's just important for everybody. That's the best part is when you can find a win-win-win solution that helps every single person, there is no downside. There is no, there's no one who's left out. There's no one who's hurt from it. That's what capitalism is all about. It's finding deals where everyone finds value. Yeah, it's a win for all or it's a lose for all. There's nobody left exactly. out, right? There's nobody yeah. left out. So John, tell them, share with them kind of how they get a hold of you, what, um, what that looks like, all that cool stuff. Yeah, the I, easiest to, way to get a I can pimp your phone number out if you'd like. <laughs> okay, I won't do that not, just yet. <laughs> no, I, you know what? Honestly, my, um, my 
easiest way to interact with people. The only social media I use is LinkedIn. I use it all the time. I do direct messaging on there. My email address is on there. Um, John, J-O-H-N, at balstrat.com. It's the abbreviations of Balanced and Strategies. So J-O-H-N at B-A-L-S-T-R-A-T.com is the best way to get a hold of me. I'm on my email all day. Uh, we can schedule time to do a, 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 an introductory call, talk through some of the fact patterns that we're seeing clients that are finding a lot of value. And, and I think the best way to go and the way I would approach it if I was an advisor is like talk through a case study. The question I always used to ask people was, who do I have to bring to the table to bring you to the table? Got it. Hey, and let's, one more question. I know we're going a little bit longer, but here, this if this is a value. That's the reason it must be asked. When you want, because people are going to go, oh, I have a, a John on my team because I have a, and I'll make it up, an Edward Jones advisor or a Morgan Stanley advisor or a, you name it. <laughs> I have a, I can do it myself through a, I don't know what the hell that day trading crap is, right? I don't know. Like, <laughs> right. no, you cannot build wealth doing what you do without someone with your knowledge on your team. So talk to that when people say, oh, I've got somebody already on my team that's doing that because that's not what they do at those firms. You do something completely different. You partner with those firms. So it's, it's a match made in heaven marriage, but they, it's kind of different what you're doing versus what they're doing. I work best with people who want confidence and clarity in their plan. And so if you're, if you're like what I would call an end client of mine, if you're a wealth holder, if you've built the business, if you own the real estate, if you have amassed the fortune, if you're trying to figure out what's the best way to change my hat from being the shareholder of my corporation and my enterprise to being the chairman of the board, it's no longer mine, but it's my responsibility. If that's the mentality you've changed, and now you're trying to make sure the enterprise value is maximized for all the other shareholders that are out there, if you're confident with your advisor, there's no reason to call me. There's no reason to. If you're confident with your plan, if it's been thoroughly vetted by your team, <clears throat> if it doesn't give you any agita whatsoever when you think about it, there's no reason to call me. But if there is, <laughs> And if you're not sure how the tax code changes are going to impact things, if you're not sure how your current insurance portfolio is going to impact things, if you're not sure exactly what the structure is going to look like, if you haven't talked to your state and tax attorney in years and years and years, if there's curiosity about what has changed or efficiencies, that's a perfect reason to reach out. Most people find me through their financial advisors, though. Most people's advisors, when, they are, when they're going through this process and they're reviewing an insurance portfolio, viewing the, the, the transfer strategy, they will call and ask me to come on as an outside consultant. They'll engage me directly from the advisory level to sit at the table with them and provide an insight and analysis. So I don't okay. do any marketing towards towards the end users. No, that's not how my business has been built. It's typically involved um, through their financial advisors, through people like you. Yeah, you know, whenever, of course. whenever your closest relationships say, hey, listen, I know you know your shit around insurance. Can you look at this? And then you pull out this 600-page binder and you go, hey, John, can you look at something for yeah, me Yeah, I quick? go, 600 pages. Can you? Can I get that in digital format so I can send it in an email to my John? Yeah, that's, that's how people find me. That's who I work best with. It's, it's people who want to have the whole team of advisors at the review. What I don't work well with are, are people who want to work with 
with asymmetries of information back to that again. It's you know, if you're an advisor and you're afraid of bringing this to the estate attorney, we're not going to be a good fit. Yeah. You, you, you we play with the whole team well or together. you play with none of the, that's it. I, you play with the whole team or none of the team. You're all Meredith in Meredith Myers the- changed that for me in seventh grade. Is that we don't work by ourselves. There's the home run where we brought it right back home, right? We started about this being yeah. all with people playing together. And even right now in what you're in, it's all about, we have to all play together and lay it all out there so we know what's happening. Because yeah. if we keep secrets, everybody loses. Every single player on here loses. So, yeah. dude, this has been amazing. I know people will contact you. I'm certain they will ask me. I just realized even chatting, you know, breakthrough, ding, ding, like how many opportunities we're going to have to play together just because I'm doing M&As. By default, to be of a better service to my clients, I have my Jojo on my team that's kind of a you. He's been with me for 15, 20 years. I'm kissing the sky right now, guys. If I know you can't see me. I'm kissing the universe, not the sky. Now I have two Jojos on my team. I'm not calling <laughs> you a Jojo, but it does stay with, a, you know, John and Joe. So it's, you know, I got my Jojos Pretty on my close. team right now. Yeah, because I need more players that have that well of wisdom you know, and then able to put it in a language where the person like me goes, I understand it. And what about this? Or what about that? And next thing you know, you fill in the gaps and they're, 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 they're taking their 2 million or their 7 million and turning it into 27 million. And that's what I'm doing with my guy that's getting 9 million, just because we know how to play with money, right? We know how to mentor people with money. We know how to do that. So if we can maximize the enterprise value, I mean, that's it. And you only get to do that by serving people. Yeah. yeah. So I got a rocket scientist now on my team. Hell yeah. Former, that's- recovering, recovering rocket scientist. Hey, listen, you're still a rocket scientist to me. You're a financial <laughs> scientist now, right? Financial rocket scientist. You're going to take people to outer space with your money. Nobody's done that yet. We're going to have the first podcast in outer space. I'm in. I, that's that's a goal. I'm gonna con- I'm gonna find the list. That's what we're gonna work on. You and me get the list of astronauts, and we're gonna interview. They should all they should all be sharing their story. Are you kidding me? Totally agree, dude. Totally like, uh, huh? I would. I can't wait to go to space. Like it's just a. I would say just a dream, but that's where it all starts. That's where it yeah. starts, and then you find the people that have the same dream, which is where we're setting. And I'm going. It's happening. It's happening. I remember being in front of the Tesla factory with my kiddo and his best friend from preschool. And I said, I'm going to Mars. And today, look how much closer I am by knowing you. By me putting that out (laughs) to the universe, look what's happening right now, this connection. I want to go to Mars. It sounds great. My wife told me I'm not allowed to go. So I have another battle I've got to figure out. We'll leave when she's not looking. (laughs) <laughs> I What's don't think that? she'll be able to catch us. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be back soon, honey. <laughs> That's great. Uh, E.T. phone home. Are you kidding me? That would be so much fun. Right? So we'll, we'll start smaller and just go to, to the barrier space, right? And then we'll get to Mars. Here's fun trivia. Last one. I know we got to wrap this up. Yeah. Um, when I was in... My master's program, part of my research, I worked with this, uh, with an old 
aerospace engineering professor named Vyden Tabakov, and he was Bulgarian, came over uh, in the 40s, I believe 40s, and he was the graduate student of Werner von Braun, who was the founder of the German rocket program. And so my mentor when I was in college was a, was a research assistant for uh, the father of modern rocketry. What? That was really that was a really cool connection we had. Oh, I get goosebumps when you somebody has to be that uh, grassroots lay it. Somebody's got to take that leap of faith, and then you're a direct lineage. Like <laughs> right. I'm, I'm one, I'm one, uh, one graduate <laughs> study away from from. That. Hey, listen, who's counting, Brainiac? Yeah, <laughs> That's cool. Wow, wow, wow. Thank wow, you very wow. much for having me. I really appreciate This has been a ton of fun. I think that you know, the people who listen to this, that your, your, your listeners, they, they just have such a blessing in front of them. They have your energy and your direction. And you're, you're, you, know, you have your own orchestra you're playing. You're pulling yeah. people on who have cool stories to share. You're not just, you're not showcasing them. It's not just, hey, look at John. It's, it's look at what we can do together. Look what's cool out there and look how you can level up your game. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And this is all right. Your gifts are your storybook, which you're opening up your playbook right now and saying, let me give my wisdom to you guys if you want to play with me. And so I realized I get to play with you at a much grander level and I'm so grateful for it. And equally now you're, you're available for others to play with you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From my bottom of my heart, all the way from the heavens above to my toes below my love to you. This has been another episode of the Game Changing Podcast with your host, Anissa Acker. If today's episode has you stirred up with a fire in your belly, take action by subscribing and sharing this episode with a friend. And in the words of Rhonda Byrne, when we open our minds to the unlimited creative power, we call forth abundance and see and experience a whole new world. Go change the game.